John, I want to earnestly ask you, now that we're in a new year, how are you? Like, how's your, how's your heart? How are your feelings? I'm, I'm fine. It's fine. Everything's fine, I guess. What do you mean fine? I mean, why, that's what why we, isn't it optimal? Not, why, isn't, not, why aren't you reaching your, your highest potential of happiness? Because fine is what we tell ourselves as the encroaching darkness goes ever closer. That's what we tell ourselves. We say, okay. it's fine, even though that crippling sense of ennui just grows and grows every day, like a black mold in your shower, and it's just, it's croaching on your feet, and before you know it, you have athlete's foot. But you say, it's fine, it's fine. It's not it's a... It's manageable. Exactly, it's manageable. As someone with manageable athlete's foot, <laughs> I, I can attest. And like that lump on your neck. Oh, it's fine. Why do I need to keep it up? Oh, my prostate's fine. It's, uh, it's wait, okay wait, that wait, I haven't peed in three I, days. I, <laughs> my example was earnest. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you're getting uh, any, any lumps on your neck checked out. No, um, all uh, my lumps are any fine. prostate issues. Okay. Yes, all my, pros- my prostate is fine. Believe you me. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Any other like updates we should know about? <laughs> Again, tell me more about your colon. Uh, just for illustration purposes, Greg. Okay. All right. Okay. Obviously, you know I'm always trying to bring it back to my prostate, regardless of how healthy or unhealthy it is. But that's okay. just me. Anyway, right. what you were saying? Yes. How am I feeling? Uh, it's fine. It's fine. I'm not. Okay. I'm. 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 I'm cautiously optimistic for the new year, but also we're we're looking we're down the barrel of an election year. There's still way too much going on. I'm tired. Twitter is just too much to keep up with. It's just and then don't keep up with it. Just log off. <sighs> log it's off. simple. Yeah. That, does that that makes me a bad citizen? I feel like. Uh, oh, wrong. If anything, it makes you a better citizen. <laughs> if you could deny yourself the dopamine rush oh. of constantly checking social media. Okay. I think you're a okay. All right. Thank you, Greg. Now that's, that's good advice for everybody. You should really write yeah. a book. I well, that's my New Year's resolution is to finally finished my second novel I, okay. I guess uh, second overall maybe one that's in publishable condition let's find out <laughs> all right <laughs> well now that you have two published uh, novels i think it'll be much easier for you to find an agent if that's what your next eh, like no, career aspiration really. is no I'd, I'd i'd i do like my independence for one thing mm. uh, I don't but also don't it. you like money <laughs> Would you actually I like, like to sell money. a book? <laughs> no, because th- if if I did want money, John, I wouldn't go into publishing. Now, would I? <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> what is the I, What does the penguin say on uh, BoJack Horseman? I'm out of the publishing game. Enough with that racket. I'm onto the electric career of network television. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a pretty accurate assessment. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm also working on my spec script. Um, <laughs> it's a sitcom called Hung Jury, <laughs> where this jury just can't get along. <laughs> And when twelve angry men get stuck in one matter. room, you know it just it just writes itself, really, which it is. It's writing itself. I made a bot watch eight thousand g- gazillion <laughs> hours of sitcoms, and this is what it came up with. Isn't it wacky? <laughs> anyway, I I have ambitions. I have projects coming okay. in the new year. So all right, I'm I'm glad you're and, and I I encourage you to pursue the same. Hopefully mm. it'll give you. Hopefully it'll beat back that uh, crippling sense of ennui that you feel, as if mm. the darkness is encroaching. Instead, let your light shine. Well, I'm hoping that it'll encourage me to make better art, because I am going through grad school right now, and I am trying to be more of an artiste. So hopefully okay. it'll it'll help. Uh, you know, put a pep in my step, maybe. Like, cause doesn't I, darkness make good art? Like, look at Ernest Hemingway. Not necessarily. I mean, he killed himself. He was winning at <laughs> art, right? The best well, artist is undeniably a great writer, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think darkness is necessary for the creation of good art. Okay. Um, 
it, I think you need to get in your feelings is what you need to do. And that's what I, w- I wanted to encourage you here and okay. encourage our listeners. Um, yes. If anybody's tuning in for the first time, where the hell have you been? <laughs> We're now 160 episodes into this nonsense, and, and you've decided to come in here. But thank you for tuning in. Hey, if they're tuning uh, in now, I think that's a testament to our, our level of consistency in terms of quality. Like, Absolutely. There's no point that someone can recommend to say, like, oh, you need to get in on this episode, or you need to listen to this episode. It's like, we're just churning it out like butter, just, like, yeah. perfectly smooth every time. Yeah, there's baby. no bullshit, like, oh, it's a little rough going in the first season. Like, I literally have eight hours to devote <laughs> to one season for it to get good. No. Thumbs down already. No. Bullshit. No way. I know. Yes. We were A-plus material from day one, mm-hmm. but... Thank you for finding us now. You finally struck gold. <laughs> we are the aspiring snobs. I am Greg. This is my twin brother, John. Say hello, John. Hello, John. And we try to catch up on movies, classic movies that we haven't seen before, so that we can build our film bona fides and call ourselves uh, movie snobs. Exactly. And this week, oh boy, we're on a dangerous mission, okay? We have a short amount of time, and secrecy is of the utmost importance. And it looks like we might have to partner with some unscrupulous characters. Some ne'er-do-wells, if you were. Exactly. Our mission was to go to the theater and see Little Women with our spouses. <laughs> we said, F that. We are dudes. We are dudes who rock. Dudes rock 2020. <laughs> and so we said, F that. We're going to see a movie about men doing manly things. <laughs> yeah, men. You know, oh, finally, a movie with no females credited in the cast. <laughs> so no. rare these days. <laughs> so rare these days. That's why we sat down and watched all two and a half hours of The Dirty Dozen. Major Risen, you are ordered by Allied Command to select 12 general prisoners, convicted by courts martial and sentenced to be executed or serve lengthy prison terms for murder, rape, robbery, and other crimes of violence. And you will deliver them secretly behind enemy lines in France to undertake a mission of sabotage that could change the course of the war. The 12 men will be known as the Dirty Dozen. Lee Marvin as Major John Reisman. There's a little of Major Reisman in every man, says Marvin. Tough and unyielding, yet compassionate. I think it's the best role I've ever been asked to play. You've all volunteered for a mission which gives you just three ways to go. We decided to watch this movie because David Ayer is apparently remaking it. Oh boy, this will be great. (laughs) As if he hasn't been doing that his entire career. (laughs) (laughs) You, You did point out something very important in that this movie is extremely influential, hmm. not just to David Ayers, but a, a multi-academy award winner, uh, Quentin Tarantino. Mm, this is also true. Because, I mean, for the time period, this came out in 1967, I can appreciate this movie was probably pretty transgressive for the time. Looking at it now, I'm like, oh, how quaint, how adorable. Yeah. But at the time, it was probably like, whoa, mind's blown. These people are, you know, like prisoners these guys are bad guys but i'm supposed to root for them this is insane they didn't have like the golden era of television like we have now we have tony soprano (laughs) and and walter white and the joker to look up to weirdly i don't know what what time is this i'm so tired (laughs) (laughs) yeah so this is the late 60s it's an era of new hollywood Mm -hmm. and so that's what's 
that's kind of what this movie is. It it has a side of the past. It's, it's still nostalgic for World War II, but in its depiction of violence and and later, as we see uh, a depiction of uh, ladies of the evening, mm. that it's it's willing to be a bit more transgressive. And so I think that's where the appeal is, and also just in how brazen it is in its masculinity, <laughs> um, because the the title is not to, I. I hadn't seen only this only caught this movie in glimpses on basic cable when my dad would immediately stop and watch it. <laughs> and it's very much a dad movie, absolutely. Yeah. And so I had no idea that the title wasn't wasn't just figurative but literal. They're called the Dirty Dozen because they refuse to follow orders and bathe and cut their hair as the army regulates. So again, that's the kind of level that we're operating on here. <laughs> Yeah, like you said, it's very which mass- is not necessarily a bad thing. I don't have to, you know, I don't want to besmirch people who love this movie, is because obviously it has a huge fan base. It's, it was one of the highest grossing movies in 1967. I but, guess, but it's it's like very clear it's operating on that surface level of masculinity where it's like, yeah, tough men do this. One of the kind of sights that this movie has and is kind of playing with is this, this like needless pomp and circumstance that the military operates under there's yeah. like an extended prolonged uh, scene that where a general is coming into place and you know they keep inter- like he has to stop and so the whole fanfare that's supposed to greet him when he first enters like they have to like start and stop and start and stop and it's kind of the mm-hmm. same thing too where they actually get into the operation where they have to infiltrate this uh, the chateau with all these Nazi generals like it's kind of making fun of it as well like they're all like you know prim and proper and doing this you know fine tuck suit and these guys are oh they're gritty they're real soldiers they're doing the <laughs> yeah. Dirty work. Yeah, it feels like one of the proto snobs versus slobs movie, mm-hmm. especially um, for sure the middle act many. when it becomes uh, meatballs somehow. <laughs> <laughs> becomes stripes. It's yeah. like a proto stripes. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't say it was like stripes because stripes came out like twenty years after this. But <laughs> yes, yeah. So again, doing a very literal job in terms of what it set, sets out to do. We're introduced mm-hmm. to Lee Marvin, who's already the general, doesn't play by the rules. He gets reprimanded by his superiors, one of whom played by Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to uh, study in contrast, <laughs> you get Ernest Borgnine leaning over the table and grumbling <laughs> at uh, stoic Lee Marvin. Again, just somehow maintaining sobriety all through this <laughs> long and in, 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 uh, interminable shoot in London. <laughs> Gosh, the stories you could tell of, like, where the hell is Lee Marvin? Oh, he's in a pub down the street. <laughs> I mean, his face conveys worlds, but maybe he's just, like, stone-cold drunk. Who knows? Yeah. Because <laughs> a lot but of hey, steely it... looks in this film, but you don't know if he's, like, just giving you a thousand-yard stare because he's just had, like, two whole bottles of whiskey. <laughs> yeah. But, hey, it works. Yeah, it works. We established that uh, his major Reisman, they call him a major because, yeah, Lee Marvin was a little bit old to be entering. <laughs> Lee Marvin himself was a little old to be entering combat. Mm-hmm. But it establishes that he's playing by the rules and they're given this impossible assignment. Take 12 uh, ne'er-do-wells, guys who were, uh, who were sentenced either to death or life in prison, and uh, do the su- form the suicide squad to do this impossible mission and, and kill every high-ranking Nazi official in this castle. <laughs> Don't call us, we'll call you. You must be out of your mind. It might seem that way. <laughs> Take it all back, Colonel. They are pretty and they oh, can't bore Hey, Colonel, I hear they don't even use parachutes. <laughs> 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 
And they're also using these guys because not only are they expendable, they're all about to be executed pretty much anyway or spend the rest of their lives in prison. There's also, it's it's kind of a a secretive mission, so not only are they expendable, but also there's a low chance of success, and then also it's meant to kind of like fly under the radar. This is not a, a, a mission that they want to publicize that they're doing, because it is kind of looked at, there's, there's a few scenes towards the end that it is kind of like playing with the whole morality of what they're doing. Like you yeah. see kind of the victims as they're like crying and scared. And it's like, Oh, I mean, yeah, they're Nazis, but I mean, do they really deserve this? This kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that plays out in some of the characters because even though this is a ragtag group, some of them are designed to be more likable than others. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the one that kind of makes the strongest impression I think is one played by uh, former NFL star Jim Brown in mm. um, one of his, I think this was his first acting role. He had ambitions to act, and then when it butt up against his football career, he's like, hmm, um, sit in a trailer all day or get yelled at by racists <laughs> and ungrateful fans? <laughs> and again, he's kind of instantly likable because, yes, this does take place in the 60s, or this mm-hmm. was filmed in the 60s, taking place in the 40s, so yes, he obviously runs into racism throughout the course of the film, and he gets to, you know, show those honkies what's exactly. what so yeah he's he, instantly kind of likable yeah he gets to demonstrate stoicism and strength in the face of not just this impossible task but also in the racism that he faces exactly like that he's he's proto good guy number one um on the opposite end of that spectrum is the guy played by telly savalas <laughs> whose name is literally in a very dickensian name maggot <laughs> who's literally a racist. Hey, look at yes. him. He, and he's also, he's the Southern fried boy, so obviously he loves God to a certain extreme degree. Yes, and every woman apparently is some kind of slut or whore or harlot. And yes. that's the nature of his crime with some terrible form of sexual violence. But And then in terms of the other, the other guys are a bit of a blank, blank slate. Um, yeah. There's uh, the diversity hire Jimenez. There he is. <laughs> There's, of course, Charles Brunson. Don't forget about yes. Charles Brunson. Yeah, he's, he's kind of the second in command. Yeah, doing his also Charles based. Brunson thing. <laughs> hey. I, I find that impression unfair. Okay, this, <laughs> in the 60s, he could be very... He had, a, he had a certain presence to him. Like, yes, it's not very expressive, but in terms of displaying cool or... I'm thinking, namely in the case of Once Upon a Time in the West, like conveying yeah. a, a kind of history on his face. It's all there. I guess um, that's you true. Know, I, I think we're kind of casting our mind to, to Death Wish, <laughs> namely Death Wish 3, when he just kind of stares blankly ahead, mowing down people. I, it was hilarious to, to read that he objected to the amount of violence in the Dirty Dozen, <laughs> and then later going to film Death Wish 3, in which, like, all, as unspeakable acts, named, a multitude of unspeakable acts are committed. It makes the, the, the Dirty Dozen look like, I don't know, Driving Miss Daisy or something. <laughs> And you're right, like, he is meant to be the cool character because I think he's the only one who actually speaks German. So when they do have to, like, surreptitiously enter this chateau, he's obviously the point man. He's the one who has to respond to everybody, and even his German isn't that good. And, uh, like, it is kind of fun, those later scenes, like, watching Lee Marvin, like, have to interact with these, like, drunk German generals. They're, like, talking to him, and all he can do is just kind of give knowing facial expressions. Like, yeah, 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 no. Yeah, Mm -hmm. nine. (laughs) Um, That is kind of a weird... 
balancing act of this movie, though, and I, I, it felt a little incongruous to me. I don't know about you, because obviously they're the Dirty Dozen. These are yeah. the ne'er-do-wells. These are, like, bad guys, but we're supposed to root for them. And also they're meant to be rough around the edges, but kind of in a fun, you know, scampy kind of way. Like, the middle act is them training, and it's it's kind of played for, like, the goofs. Like, the music becomes very, like, whoop, 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 whoop. like, it's like them Duke yeah. boys are at it again. And then the final act all of a sudden it's like now they're mowing people down and they're in danger and we're supposed to be like i don't know did that work for you because it's like kind of separated in terms of like acts or do you think it was kind of like incongruous the way they're like oh these these boys are at it again oh shit they're dying <laughs> like flies yeah it it did work to me and i think it's because of the film's pace hmm. like this is a languidly paced two and a half hours however it does establish uh, the characters and a certain innate likability to them. Mm. Like, I think actually the, the the one who gets kind of the most, like, screen time, the most of the Dirty Dozen, other than the ones who survive, is the one played by John Cassavetes, mm. uh, Victor Franco. And he's, uh, in sharp relief to Charles Bronson characters, he's the wiry one. He's the defiant one. Mm-hmm. And I think what he... And when you see scenes like when he like says, no, we're not going to uh, shave and bathe in cold water and, and the, you see the group unified, it really does do an effective job, even though these are terrible war criminals, as we'll see later, <laughs> um, many of whom are probably like immediately guilty for their crimes. It does do a good job of establishing their slobbery versus the snobbery. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of innately end up rooting for them as underdogs. Yeah. Especially in terms of Vernon Pinkley, which is played by Donald yes. Sutherland. Not only is he kind of like the likable one, like kind of the goofball, but also like yeah. he's also meant to be kind of like mentally challenged. Like he's supposed to like kind of be demonstrating like a low IQ, which is why he doesn't really quite understand everything that's kind of going on around him. So he's also kind yeah, of he's more one sympathetic of... in that way as well. Yeah, he's one of at least two who are illiterate. The other one, played by Clint Walker, um, mm. he's the he's the kind of really imposing, the strong, silent type. He's passive, <laughs> but he's built like a like a brick shit house, and so <laughs> and so Lee Marvin's character, being the great leader that he is, has to draw that uh, violence out of him. <laughs> Come on, stab me, and, stab me. Yeah, and so yeah, with uh, through this language pace it does really establish them as slobs versus snobs and and very endearing in that way and you're right with donald sutherland's character he gets this great like star turn this apparently what got him the role in mash Mm. was um even though he is a dim dim dim-witted oaf uh, he did get to play savvy and like get to pretend to be a general and has these like quick one-liners which you don't expect out of him Mm. again like you know may not hit the logical part of your brain you know you could maybe hours later you're like hey wait a minute that doesn't make sense but you know in the moment it worked um maybe (laughs) you you kept going back to this word languid and if i do have any affection for this movie it kind of felt like stockholm syndrome like all right i've already invested (laughs) two hours into this movie i might as well just watch the rest of it i i wasn't particularly drawn in and kind of like the earlier scenes with the kind of goofballiness of it all like it's kind of played a little bit too much for hijinks for my taste I take it you don't deny your responsibility for the fact that on the night of April 1415, a military establishment of the United States Army was the scene of a drunken party at which no less than seven female civilians took an active part. Oh, yes, sir, they took an active part, all right. Excuse me, gentlemen. Are you in a position to offer even the remotest mitigating circumstances? Yes, sir. Oh, Sergeant, more ice. Yes, sir. Well? You offered those men a chance to get off the hook, and they worked damn hard at it. 
Now that you're shaping up, you're gonna say sorry, fellas. The deal's off, huh? Why? Well, you've only yourself to blame for that. You're the one responsible for those women being in camp. All right, so I broke an army regulation. What are you gonna do, kill five men and send the rest to prison for life? Because if you did that, you'd have to lock up half the United States Army officers included. Anyway, you just said it yourself. It was my fault, not theirs. And it's not gonna affect their ability as soldiers. Yes, well, we've heard about their ability as soldiers from Colonel Breed. That's his opinion. Look, my men have crammed six months of intensive training into as many weeks. And as of this moment, I'd stack them up against any men in the Army. Well, yeah, especially considering the, the gravity of the mission that they're undertaking. Yeah. I, I wish maybe one thing, if we're just going to play script doctors here, <laughs> like they should establish that, hey, these are really bad guys that you're going after. Or like if you don't take out the stronghold, then, I don't know, this battalion is toast. Or <laughs> yeah. Like, they are just kind of in it for themselves. But, I mean, that's kind of the beauty of movies or what attracts Hollywood to World War II. You don't have to set up the bad guys. Like, they're Nazis. Yeah. They're the worst of the worst. We already know this. We learned this from history class. Like, mm -hmm. we're fine. Like, we knew that the the mission that they were doing, however unscrupulous, at least had a good result, which is us winning World War II. Yeah! <laughs> Kick them, donks! <laughs> yeah. And to be fair, it, there are some external moments that they do bring in. Like, apparently this mission takes place on D-Day. Mm-hmm. And but it doesn't really have anything to do with the invasion. It has more to do with their rescue. Again, like kind of out for themselves. And I know Lee Marvin's character in the book that this movie's based on is Jewish. Mm. Uh, like his name is I think Jacob Reisman. Here they just call him John, and he's played by uh, again ultimate goy <laughs> Lee Marvin. So <laughs> you don't really get that. It's not like Quentin Tarantino in The Inglorious Bastards. Like you get that liminal thrill of like. Yeah, well, I mean, they're committing war crimes and doing terrible violence, but, you know, they're enacting their revenge for the, the horrors of the Holocaust. Yeah, they're justified to yeah. carve, you know, swastikas in their foreheads, I guess. All right, whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't particularly care for Inglorious Bastards, and I didn't particularly care for this movie either. I think this one has a little bit more entertainment value than Inglorious Bastards, which just feels tasteless to me, and both are overlong, in my opinion, but... Whatever, we're just nitpicking now at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was stunned by... They, they set up this mission mm -hmm. that, hey, you have to infiltrate this castle and take out the Nazi high command. It doesn't take place until the final half hour of this two-and-a-half-hour movie. Uh, prior to that, it's it's somewhat goofy in terms of like how they endear themselves, both to us as the audience and to higher commanding officers. They commit, they do this war game, and they, and they kind of again play fast and loose with the rules disguise themselves as one battalion and then you know switch their armbands to another exactly i i yeah i don't know how you appreciated that scene because again it's more ernest borgnine more <laughs> ernest borgnine which i know you love so <laughs> i guess but again he wasn't at his optimal ernest borgnine you know i like him as, as the the boys just hey, i'm ernest borgnine what is, what's going on grab me a drink here he's meant to be like serious and i'm like no no that's not the ernest i know <laughs> <laughs> for me it was weird the middle act because again it's like oh these goofballs these rapscallions look at them go and mm -hmm. it it was you know in sharp relief to obviously the kind of terribleness of their crimes and then the terribleness that they're going to have to commit later on in the movie so i don't know how i kind of feel about it as a whole i guess in the middle act it was kind of the most entertaining segment and felt the most kind of of a piece i suppose but yeah yeah i wasn't completely sold I mean, yeah, because, again, there are these things you think about, like, um, again, this movie has a stacked cast, one of, one of, 
important player is played by George Kennedy. <laughs> oh, I love and, seeing George Kennedy. I can never yeah. say no to George Kennedy. Exactly. Who doesn't? And he plays an observer in these war games. And at one point, he gets pushed out of a moving truck <laughs> by by the Dirty Dozen uh, when they enact their plan and end up winning in the war games. He runs back, injured, dirty, <laughs> like probably hor- horribly hurt by this incident. And he can't help but laugh at their hijinks, I guess. <laughs> so... I, I don't know, like, you can either get swept up in that, or you can be like, no, these are terrible people. And <laughs> yeah. so, I think, over the course of these two and a half hours, I didn't I didn't mind until we get to the actual, like, war crimes that, um, <laughs> like, oh, the, the, these, those rapscallions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's get to those war crimes, huh? So Yes, so for the final act, they have to surreptitiously, uh, some of them are disguised, other ones are sneaking around the back, you know shooting a grappling hook so they can get to the roof. They're trying to blow up this chateau because it has a, a mm-hmm. radar station attached to it. And they're also yeah. trying to take out these high-level targets as well. So they're trying to do it with uh, cloak and dagger tactics, as it were, even though they're so rough around the edges. How is this ever going to work? Um, so they end up almost successfully getting away with it, except for that old southern boy. He can't help himself. <laughs> He's just got to go murder another woman. <laughs> yes. Again, I don't know, like... Even though they set up the plan through this, like, countdown, like, uh, uh, seven, throw the hook to heaven, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, that didn't give me any clarity on what the ex- actual plan is. <laughs> they were going to blow stuff up real good. That's all I needed to yeah. know. <laughs> okay. But then why did Lee Marvin and Charles Bronson have to dress up like Nazis? They already know kind of the layout and the lay of the land. That's And they, as far as I know, they didn't kill anybody. <laughs> no, and actually that kind of puts them in immediate danger because they're trying to blow up that radar tower and everyone in that bunker. Yeah. yeah the also, plan- it's night outside. <laughs> and as far as I can tell, the, the rest of the Dirty Dozen, all they see are Nazi uniforms that they try to mow down. <laughs> oh, wait. No, now I remember. They had to get inside so they could hook up to the roof. They needed roof access, so that's where the Mm -hmm. the main plan kind of came in. Okay, now I remember, yes. Because remember, they have to, like, get off the balcony. He tries to hook up with the the grappling hook. He misses the first time. And then the misses twice and and almost gives away their position. Come on, Charlie. Come on, Bronson. I'm not blaming him. I'm blaming Lee Marvin for the horrible plan. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) If you're relying on throwing a grappling hook, I mean, that's that's on that's on your commanding officer there. <laughs> good point, good point. But eventually they end up blowing up this radar tower, you know, causing a huge kerfuffle, and everyone ends mm-hmm. up down in the bunkers, like where they supposedly is safe, even though there's like, a ton of ammunition down there just waiting yeah. to be exploded. And it gets to a certain point where they're like, they see the vents, and they're like, all right, open up the vents, cover it in the... Uh, gasoline dump gasoline down there and throw all these <laughs> these grenades down here and I'm, and it's like it's kind of horrifying like yeah because you see like the faces of these 
you know, they're Nazis, so obviously we don't feel too sympathetic for them. But also, it's like their wives are in there as well. You yes, know, there are lots some, of women. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, I guess I think that's the point. The point is it's trying to make you uncomfortable a little bit, or at least to kind of show the moral ambiguity of their actions. I don't think that this, I mean, mm. obviously this is meant to be, that's the weird, like, balancing act of this movie. It's still trying to be like a rah rah. Yeah, we did, we did it, folks. We we beat them Nazis in World War Two. But also, it's trying to be like, oh, we didn't get there by you know being the morally upright ones as well. Like we had to we had to get our hands dirty, as it were. And so that's kind of the weird balancing act of this final act because it's also like, I guess you're right, you're right. It's like also playing with the violence as well. We see a lot of people get shot, even though they're doing like the mm-hmm. overacting, like '60s style, where it's like. Ugh! grabbing their yeah. chest. <laughs> At one point, one of the dirty dozens gets shot in the head with a sniper, and he's able to grab his forehead first, reveal he's been shot in the head, and then collapse. <laughs> I, Having never been shot in the head, I can't you're explain right, that, ma- You're right. Maybe that happens. Who knows? Yeah. But John, wasn't the giant explosion at the end cool? <laughs> <laughs> That's where I kind of I kind of disagree with the notion, and maybe this has something to do with timing. Like, I think... This movie, like David Ayer and Quentin Tarantino, just kind of revels in the violence and mm. isn't really being introspective about what the, what they're doing. Yeah, and also maybe it was a, a just a benefit of timing because this movie came out in 1967. Mm-hmm. Public perception of the war is changing. There's now a counterculture no, where that's people true. are burning burning their draft cards and and not exactly following you know authority mm. in a way. And so maybe that's where I don't know people like you kind of have that draw to it but you've also got the uh let's call them hot dog neck psychopaths who are yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, america is unambiguously awesome and triumphing in this moment i so mean maybe it's that's kind of playing all sides yeah so maybe that's why it kind of like uh, or maybe that's why it was such a big hit because depending on how you look at it, from what angle you're looking at it, if you're like a boomer, you're looking at it and you're like, oh, yeah, like our government, obviously, they're pretty nasty in terms of this war business. And then if you're part of the greatest generation, it's like, ah, yeah, we kicked those Nazi asses. Yeah. Look at us go. <laughs> exactly. So I'm trying to think of like, I don't, if th- I don't any... think the movie's sophisticated enough to be playing both those sides. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's a product of like timing. Like mm-hmm. you, you had one audience maybe expecting, like taking taking one thing out of the movie and the audience like uh, interpreting another yeah but you're absolutely right i don't think it was like that ambiguity was intentional i just think it was kind of muddled or they just maybe when they're filming it they didn't realize what they were doing or something like that or maybe they found it (laughs) in post who knows yeah well clearly they didn't know what they're doing because this movie went way long and over budget (laughs) and lee marvin was drunk (laughs) and lee marvin couldn't get sober goodness gracious (laughs) lee come on if not for us your wife and kids (laughs) <laughs> That's fair. Train them. Excite them. Arm them. And turn them loose on the Nazi High Command. He's great, though. Gosh, God bless him. Lee I know. And who am I to complain? I had three vodka gimlets before I started recording. <laughs> I had too many vodka gimlets. 
yeah, so our overall impressions of Dirty Dozen is uh, your mileage may vary. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you are. It's a Rorschach it, test. That's kind of what yes. it is. It's a it's the movie version of a Rorschach test. Yeah, it's, if you're a simpleton like me or David Ayer or <laughs> Quentin Tarantino, yeah, you may find a lot of the pleasures in the in the violence and the ragtag nature of the of this group. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're smart like John <laughs> and can see the horrible <laughs> violence and and grotesquerie for what it is, um, you may not like it. Yeah, <laughs> who's that? Who's that film critic or director who said like there's no such thing as an anti-war film? Oh, that, uh, Francois Truffaut famously said that. Okay. He thought that cinema basically glamorized everything, mm. so there's no way to depict war without glamorizing it to a certain extent. That's. Um, I don't think that's... I, I, you know, you can kind of buff up against that. A lot of people cite uh, Saving Private Ryan in the opening scene there. Yeah. <laughs> as kind of a, a an example of, uh, you know, as kind of a contradiction to that, but I, I think he's, it's that's true to some extent. I, yeah, I was thinking about, um, I just recently watched The Report, which is about the uh, torture report, and obviously there's a few depictions of torture in that movie. It's all it's all done mm-hmm. very sparingly, but uh, it doesn't, like, again, the whole point of the movie is it's not trying to glamorize it. It's trying to, you know, depict it as wrong. But you're right, as a piece of cinema, as a movie, it does have to dramatize it a little bit and kind of capture that moment, that essence, and make it immediately available to the audience. This is the emotion you should be feeling. So as mm-hmm. a result, like, there's, you can't help but make it at least a little glamorous or at least, like, try to kind of dumb it down or, you know, only do it from one perspective. You can never really yeah. truly capture the reality of it all. So I kind of get what Truffaut is saying. Probably the same thing with yeah. war. Like, no matter how, as much of hell as you're trying to do it, you know, it's there's still always going to be that distance. There's still always going to be that fourth wall. So, yeah. And it's always going to be simplified or, again, glamorized because that's that's what putting projecting something on a giant screen for yeah. entertainment value is supposed to do. So I mean, movies is still a business. They're still entertainment, baby. Come on, there's pork knives in this movie. We're having fun here. They're called war games. <laughs> Spot on Ernest Borgnine. Best Ernest Borgnine I've ever done, obviously. I know. I you just... deserve an Oscar for that. <laughs> Look for me in 2021. This fall, this fall John is Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> I'm already working on the gut. I'm already, yeah, I'm like, I'm gaining weight for the role, obviously. Mm-hmm. I know. I'm going to steal that role. That brioche looks delicious. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> John, let's get to the spotlight. 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 The force will be with you. Always. Yes. And what the people really want to know. Oh, yes. No one's exhausted yet. From I know. <laughs> no one's tired yet of discussing the newest feature, Little Women. Little Women. <laughs> Directed by Greta Gerwig. No, John. Come on. we got to follow what the internet's talking about. You and I slept down to the theater. We were exhausted from the holidays, but we did it anyway. Yes. And we knew we weren't going to enjoy it. We saw Cats. <laughs> and I, the edibles kicked in just at the right moment for me. I don't know about you, but... Mm. I, no, man. It was a bad trip. Let me tell you. <laughs> okay. See, okay. Like, I really... I have still haven't seen Cats because I really could not tell... If it was going to be like a good bad time at the movies or just a bad bad time at the movies, I really, like, I really couldn't be sure. Like a lot of critics were like, it's too boring to be like a bad, like a good bad watch. You know, this isn't the room. Well, that's the problem. They're, they're critics. They they get paid to watch it. Like <laughs> I have to spend my real time and my real money on it. Like, yeah. Of course, I'm not going to go, going to go spend the 
the, the time for that. I'll wait till it's, I don't know, free on, not free, but like available easily. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. I mean, and if I we were the I, comfort of my home and then most importantly, shut it off and <laughs> decide that this isn't for me. And obviously you're right. I'm going to do an edible if I'm going to watch it and I'm not going to have to yeah. lift down there if I do it. It's going to be too much. It's too much. It's too yeah. much. I mean, I have yeah. heard like Alamo Drafthouse doing like rowdy viewings of cats. <laughs> so it's like, it's sure, built into yeah. the idea that everyone's like getting into it and throwing shit at the screen or whatnot. Like it's Rocky Horror Picture Show. Well, at least we should be grateful for some kind of creative folly, mm. like really going for it and failing. Can the same be said for Star Wars? The the Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> the Rise of um, the Skywalker. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've saw it. I've given my early impression i was completely whelmed by this movie um, i sat in my seat for two and a half hours and when i got up i i was uh, mildly mildly pleased and then i walked out and thought about what the what we were going to do for dinner mm. i okay, okay. i your thoughts okay <laughs> Take your time. um I know this is important, John. This is what everybody's been waiting for. Look, it's it's really hard for us to talk about Star Wars because, yeah. and for a lot of movie aficionados like me and yourself, because Star Wars was kind of the entry point for us for our love of cinema. I mean, yeah. I know that's certainly true for me. I don't know if it's true for you. Well, I mean, were you no, watching? No, that'd be Jurassic Park. Oh, <laughs> Steven Spielberg. Same difference. Yeah. Um, I mean, we were watching, like, Raging Bull and being like, ah, yay, movies! Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, I want to talk about this movie um, as a film first, and mm-hmm. then we will talk about it as a Star Wars film. Okay? okay. Oh, first, gosh, you're applying these two stupid, yeah, different logics. You have to! Big... You have to! Okay? I, 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 can't be, I can't be unbiased about this. I can't. I'm this, sorry. Well, this is what I'm also talking about with, like... Now our whole tastes are being itemized, and also we're growing into our 30s here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, our taste is going to solidify at some point, and we're just going to be like, everything's uneven. But now movies have to, like, vibe at a different frequency. Like, uh, a movie can be great, but is it Star Wars movie great? <laughs> like, <laughs> and I'm like, who, the, who, give, who cares? Like, just judge it as a movie first. I, fine. I don't know. Do your stupid criteria. Be like every other picky person. Like, I didn't like the uh, the Rogue Eight ship. <laughs> I thought that was a bad design. Not a, not up to Ralph McQuarrie's legacy, that's for sure. <laughs> that's not... Okay, first of all, that's not even the level I'm operating on, okay? <laughs> sure, go ahead. All right. All right. Give me a break, all right? Because this is the movie that made me stop being a Star Wars fan, okay? I'm, I'm over it. I'm done. Oh, this is the one. This okay. is the one. I'm over, officially over it. Because I, I came into this leaving like feeling like not a Star Wars fan anymore. I'm like, all right, so there's like a guy in a black cloak and he's the bad guy now? I'm confused. Um, <laughs> this guy's named Hooba Juba and he fixes droids. They had to go talk to him. Look, as a film, this movie's a mess because it doesn't stop yeah. for two seconds. You know how everyone mm-hmm. says like, oh, the middle act really drags. I was praying for the middle act because I'm like, <laughs> God, please, can we slow down? And yeah. you can say like, there's this moment in the middle act where they, they have to go to the ruins of the Death Star. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, the waves are too dangerous now. We'll have to wait till morning to to sail across those treacherous waters. And I'm like, oh, finally, some downtime. Nope, she finds a fucking boat <laughs> and goes across the water in like five seconds later. I was so exhausted by this movie. It was terrible. <laughs> I, I don't think the movie was terrible. Again, I was completely kind of satisfied. Like, I don't know if anybody can be overjoyed and buy a Star Wars film anymore and live up to the legacy of uh, Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back, and to some extent, Return of the Jedi. But 
what I was really disappointed by was the fact that we are seeing the same things like over and over again. <laughs> like, as you said, like the movie doesn't slow down. Like, do we have to? Like, Ray immediately has to get on the boat to get the MacGuffin, which the urgency again I wasn't like completely sure about because they haven't like written in like what's the, what's the urgency of getting this MacGuffin. Uh, the, the one that really stuck out to me was. Um, it looks like a very dramatic moment in which you do slow down. It looks like uh, Chewbacca was on a ship that exploded. No, like our dear friend Chewbacca. Yeah. And then we go to a completely different planet, and then Ray gets some uh, force uh, vision that Chewbacca's actually alive. He's on that ship. And <laughs> let's let's run there. And I felt like, okay, here we go again. We're on this. We're, this is the scene where we're at the cantina. This is the scene where we infiltrate the enemy ship. This yeah. is the scene where there's a starfight. And I'm like, is that all a Star Wars movie can be now? Is like just mix and matching the same scenes that we liked before. Like say what you will about I don't know the MCU like at least they they've got enough like variety like I get annoyed when it's always like the same protagonist like oh they're arrogant and they have a fall from grace yeah then they build themselves up to be a superhero like I and I had the same frustration here it's like we can only do the same like six scenes and sometimes move them out of order and well it's even only... like with the characters like yeah. they were trying to differentiate him for the for like the brief moment in uh the last jedi where it's like oh this isn't you know this isn't your typical skywalker fill in this isn't your typical han solo and this movie goes right back to that they make this whole point of like poe is like running from his past he's a little ashamed of his past and then yeah. the big reveal what is it oh he used to be a spice runner what the hotshot pilot used to be a smuggler <laughs> this is completely new territory for star wars how will we ever how will the star wars fans react to this major revelation like who the fuck cares he's just on solo again like again like yeah and the same thing with ray it's like oh you know maybe they're setting up that her journey's going to be different she's making like a, something that's meant to carry on the jedi order it's like nope she's skywalker plus plus she's she's yeah. got not just one jedi power she's got all the jedi powers she's got all of them yes and she's got a a Oh, she doesn't know who her family is. Turns out her family is villainous. Oh, no. <laughs> Instead of, no, I'm your father, now it's Emperor uh, Palpatine or whatever going, no, I'm your father. <laughs> <laughs> Which, all right, I'm not... Okay, bringing back the yeah. Emperor, it's just like, it felt so fan fiction-y, and it felt so, like, expanded <laughs> universe. Because I know, like, the expanded universe books, they're basically like, all right, what's the big planet-destroying thing this week? Like... I've never read any of those books, but it's like you read the plot outlines, and this is basically what mm-hmm. it is. It's like, oh, how do we bring the Emperor back? How do we fucking make another big super weapon that the Empire has? Like, And that's totally what this is, again. Except now it's like completely ridiculous with this whole cis planet. I forget what the cis planet's called. I think it's called Espadrille. Who cares? Yeah. It's like... <laughs> It's like with twenty story foot statues and lightning always striking. <laughs> like, I know. God God forbid anybody with epilepsy. I I know there are warnings posted outside of the theaters and, and thank God for that. But I mean yeah, like I, I'm used to like Star Wars planets only having like one biome, really only one climate, just constant lightning storms all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well I, I I'll get to the extended universe thing, but I, I wanna there are two things that I they thought they introduced that was new mm-hmm. that I appreciated. One is following that scene where again Ray has to rush to get the MacGuffin, mm-hmm. and uh, she's confronted by Kylo Ren. That scene struck out to me for for one very key reason. They obviously are combatants. They take out their their lightsabers and start fighting. Yeah. What what amazed me is that there's no music. That is true. And I thought, like, finally, this is something different. Like Star Wars is working without John Williams's music. <laughs> 
and I was so like floored by that. I'm like, wait a minute, like we actually see the two tension, and that's the other thing too is like we've never seen a familial tension between uh, the hero and the villain, like again Luke having to confront his father. We've never seen romantic tension, mm. and I like the choice for them once. Uh, Kylo Ren, as as we foresee, because now we're too savvy as audience members and and want uh, our products to to uh, play out the way we envisioned. Mm-hmm. When they do finally like kiss, <laughs> I I I was like yes, finally, <laughs> and it felt like finally like blood was pumping back in this movie. But uh, obviously he dies because like well you know, honestly they, we can't have we can't have like a romantic happy ever happy ending uh, no. ever after or whatever because that's uncharted territory for star wars and, and maybe the audience like well and <laughs> oh, again we but also we're treading old ground aren't we it's like really where was kylo ren really going to be unredeemed by the end of it no of course not yeah. and obviously <laughs> with redemption obviously comes not having to face consequences so they have to die immediately after and yeah in my screening i don't know what the case was yours that elicited the biggest laugh in the whole movie was when Kylo, after they kiss, he immediately keels over again. <laughs> like, oh, okay. That's when everyone fucking laughed in the theater. <laughs> Which is, okay. I'm, I assume, is not the reaction J.J. Abrams was going for. No. Uh, I'm surprised yours left. Our, ours was a, a bit of a dead zone. I think they were no. more excited for Avengers Endgame. But mm. anyway, again, we saw it out of like obligation is what it felt like. Yeah, And that's, that's the one thing, too, is if we are going to compare this to other, maybe more successful franchises from this decade, or this century or something. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to that extended universe because when Disney bought it, they said, uh, no, we're, we're scrapping all that. Because as you said, some of the stories are nonsense. They have like Boba Fett um, climbing out of the Sarlacc pit, <laughs> yeah. which I also learned apparently in the Star Wars universe, throwing down massive pits does not work. <laughs> <laughs> Emperor Palpatine. Fine. Back. <laughs> Boba Fett. Yes, fine. But in Solo, yes, Boba Fett back. In Solo, a Star Wars story, Darth Maul falls down a pit. Guess what? He's fine. He's back. <laughs> Pits do not work in the Star Wars universe. Yes. This is a f- hard and fast rule, okay? Yeah. If someone gets <laughs> thrown down a pit, they're coming back. It's not. It's, yeah. it's canon. But here's the thing. If you look through all of Marvel comics, you'll find stuff that is infinitely stupider than whatever's yeah. in the Star Wars extended universe. So you kind of got to pick and choose and see what works. And I know there's one storyline about, like, death troopers <laughs> about them fighting zombies i thought that's the way they should have gone like mm. <laughs> emperor palpatine is like raising an army of the dead and they're seemingly undefeatable yeah <laughs> like because they're zombies <laughs> instead and of so, like, like i, I built a million was... star destroyers look at all these star destroyers i know yeah look at them just sit there and yeah they can't move because of some magical radar or whatever i don't know yeah <laughs> again it doesn't Alien make sense and you're not as emotionally invested because i don't think they they took enough risks with it or no Try, it tried enough new. Well, and it's and also so, just like like we kept saying, it's just, the movie just has to constantly keep going. It can't stop. We can't mm-hmm. just have one MacGuffin chase, two MacGuffin chases. Like, the whole time I was thinking, oh, Sif Wayfinder. It's probably in the last place that Emperor Palpatine was alive, the ruins of the Death Star. Can we just go there? No. We have to find a knife. A knife where the inscription <laughs> tells them that it's in the ruins of the Death Star. And then has a magical handle that, <laughs> that points from the wreckage. So that means that the knife was made after the, the Death Star crashed. <laughs> but they're using, like, ancient ruins on it. Like, yeah. and I just... And again, like, all the new Star Wars stuff, at least, like... I can get kind of swept away in that. I didn't like any of the new Star Wars stuff. I hated the new droid. 
Like, come on. Like, half the fun of the droids is that they go bleep bloop. This one's just going, happy, nice to meet you, nice to meet you. I'm like, that's not fun. That's lame. I hate this. This is stupid. (laughs) This design is dumb. He's just a conehead. It's stupid. I hate it. You have fucking Felicity in here wearing, like, this stupid (laughs) Boba Fett costume. Yeah, I I don't know, like, if if like, they wanted to see like how much residual she could get for <laughs> as little screen time cuz she never takes her helmet off. <laughs> no, she flips up her visor so know. you know it is yeah, it is her but yeah. You know, hey, I'm sure Pedro Pascal's getting paid a lot of money for not having to be on set every day. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, good for him. Get yeah. get in your bag, dude. Yeah. So yeah. Um Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, sort of a miss. <laughs> not good. I mean, yeah, well, I thought it was, like, fine entertainment. Again, I'm not judging it by the standards of, like, other Star Wars movies and, like, oh, there's no IG-88 droids. <laughs> and, uh, oh, I, I didn't like the... Uh, I mean, look, I'm not saying... I, I, loved, I loved when they pandered to the audience, or I didn't love when they, you know, did obvious fan service, which there, there isn't a lot of, thankfully. Oh, there, there is, this, though. Hey, Chewie, I have okay. something for you. Oh yeah, okay, that's that's fair. All right, that wasn't as as stupid as um. The, no, um, that was stupid. That whatever. was very the guy, fucking stupid. <laughs> it, it's not as bad as the um, the guy who has the death sentence on twelve systems making it appearance <laughs> okay, in Rogue One. Right, it's fine, not that bad. Fine, but, you're right. It's not that yeah. bad, I guess. It's not that, mm-hmm. but it's all pointless and it made me hate being a Star Wars fan, I guess. <laughs> and look, I'm I. I Maybe, there, like, there is, obviously, I, I do get mad at, like, the pandering thing. But also, I wasn't going to this movie being, like, making me feel like I'm eight years old again. Like, <laughs> I was just, I wanted a good Star Wars well, movie. Uh, that John, contained... how, how much of the Star, uh, Star Wars fan base does want to feel like they're eight years old again? Oh, okay, I mean... absolutely. Which is why I don't want to be, uh, don't don't try to misconstrue me and, and put me in with that group. I wanted to go in and get a good movie that also fit well into the Star Wars universe. I got neither here. And that's why I'm mad. Okay. <laughs> so you didn't have a good time on either level as a Star Wars fan or as no uh, just a regular moviegoer. No, right. absolutely not. Because as a movie, okay. this doesn't work, and as a Star Wars movie, it felt pandering, overlong, and dumb. So and we have to find the knife, right. the even magic longer, knife, even though it's shorter than the Last Jedi, which you. I uh, I mean, well, it's because the Last Jedi was a Star Wars movie we needed. This was the this was the slop. This was the slop for the hogs. <laughs> Here, enjoy your space battles. <laughs> He's he, they're on a they're on a Death Star now. They're saving Chewie. Look, is this what you wanted? Eat yeah. your slop, you it, pigs. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was it was safe. It was safe in Anodyne. Mm-hmm. Uh, they couldn't kill Chewie, obviously. No. And as, as far as that last star battle, I remember I didn't see anybody like going like, "Oh, they're on my tail. I'm hit." And then the little sparks fly up behind them. That's they a hallmark did. of No, of they did kill Greg. They killed that. Greg Grumberg. I'm pretty sure they killed Greg Grumberg did that they? way. Yeah. Believe it or not. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, okay. Then they're the important thing is he got paid. J.J. Abrams paid all his friends. That's what's important. Yeah, that's that's what matters. And um, Charlie from Lost is in here. Like that. The f- okay. The the other thing we need to talk about is the treatment of like Rose Tico. Everyone's like, oh, uh, Kelly Marie Tran deserved better. It's like there's so many side characters who get like five seconds of screen time. I like. I just thought yeah. they kind of like shoved her in there, which is fine. Like she's got the residuals. She's got paid to do. You know. Not half yeah. the shit that I, Daisy I Ridley had to do. So yeah, yeah, she's fine. And doesn't have to set foot on social media or do, do stupid promotion of her again. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, like Daisy Ridley is or Daisy Ridley. Yeah, that's her name, right? Daisy Ridley. Yes. Daisy yeah. Ray. Daisy Ray is working. Okay, she's like doing wire work. <laughs> Daisy Ray. Yeah, Daisy Ray. She's she earned her paycheck, so she's thankfully yeah. done. 
and John Boyega's done, and I'm glad everyone's done. I'm glad everyone got paid. That's that's the that's the silver lining to all this. I'm glad everyone got paid. <laughs> well, yes, everyone got paid, and we do get to keep the Star Wars tradition of the fattest pilot. And I'm going down. <laughs> hey, Greg Grunberg wasn't always like that, okay? Right. I know. What the hell happened? <laughs> like he's getting dude, into character double... actor mode. He's like, I'm never gonna be a leading man. Uh, let's just settle in. <laughs> I've got I've got one word for you. Uh, friend carbs <laughs> right. same thing happened with Riker on fucking Star Trek in the next know. generation he's just like I don't give a shit anymore I got my money he's character he's... actor now it's working for Steven Root it'll work for me <laughs> no Steven Root can, can maintain a, a physique a look mm. right? he doesn't need to grow a beard to cover up his double chin <laughs> ouch oh, facts only here alright mm. Oh, maybe <laughs> that's as somebody who Greg who Grumberg was the new Porkins. <laughs> that's the thing. Greg Grumberg was the new Porkins. You know, how everything rhymes in Star Wars. He was the new Porkins. Yes. <laughs> See, it's not even fun yeah. to talk about Star Wars like we used to. It's not. I'm having a great time. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm just tired. I'm tired. Okay, fine. I'm mad at J.J. Abrams. Fuck you, J.J. Abrams. No, screw. No, it's not his fault. Yeah. Like, what other director would have done another admirable job? Any director would have at least put the camera down for five seconds. Like, <laughs> no, we gotta keep moving. We gotta like, yeah. He's gotta t- teleport here and the warp speed there. Like, ugh, I'm so mad. Calm mm-hmm. down, J.J. Abrams. Take your Ritalin. Jeez. <laughs> If you are like Sean and you need to slow down for a second, we cannot recommend our social media feeds enough. No. Because we only post once a week, and it's usually the episode we're doing. Sometimes we do other jokes, but uh, not that often. Um, it's a nice little pleasant Twitter. hayride. We're on to the world of social media when you follow the Aspiring yeah. Snobs. That's the Aspiring Snobs guarantee. Exactly. We are on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Go ahead. Give us a like or follow there. And also go to your podcast service of choice if you did enjoy the episode, which I, I did immensely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> go ahead, go to your podcast service of choice, rate us five stars. It'll help more people find the show. It'll open up a dialogue. We take recommendations, questions, all that great stuff. Yeah, yeah. Tell us how you felt about Star Wars the, and how much mm-hmm. you agree with me. I just want to hear positive reinforcement <laughs> to my negative <laughs> opinion. Thank you. Yes, they can send that to aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Post it on the Twitter account. Yeah, Twitter. Yeah, that too. That's everyone's favorite place for Star Wars discourse. Now, we do have a schedule Mm -hmm. out for 2020. We're going to let you know what movies we're watching so you can watch along with us. John, share with us what we have uh, coming up next week. Uh, We have so many movies. coming up on us normally i'm very good and i'm usually uh yeah, i usually sure. have it yeah, uh, on the ball uh, yeah. yeah you know what that's that's how people describe john y- on the ball you know what maybe on the high ball because it's all the drinks i hit earlier oh <laughs> <laughs> like like lee marvin i was trying to get into the lee marvin spirit here <laughs> ah yes uh now i remember next week we're going to be revisiting a classic from a, a certain director who's been getting a lot of accolades, a lot of attention recently. We're going to be traveling to South Korea because we're going to be revisiting mm-hmm. an earlier film by one Bong Joon-ho. That's right. We're going to be looking at Memories of a Murder. Yeah, a contemporary classic. This one's getting uh, more cult appeal now that Boon Joon-ho is a household, an international household name. Mm-hmm. The success of Snowpiercer and Okja and now Parasite. So Yes. And like much like Parasite, this is kind of a... a Low, not low stakes, but kind of more of a kind of character-centric, uh, smaller-scale drama. Nothing yeah. quite like Snowpiercer or uh, Okja. Nothing, nothing too yeah. big. 
this has been on your watch list for a long time. I've seen it, and I'll share my thoughts uh, in the next episode. Okay. But uh, you'll have to tune in for that next week. I mean, is it better than Mother? We'll find out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Actually, I haven't seen Mother. You've seen Mother. Yeah. I think between the two of us, we'll have a complete, we'll be uh, <laughs> Boong John ho completionist. There you go. <laughs> That's what we're here for, baby. That's why we're, tw- like, when you're twins, you only have to be half the movie snob. That's what's great about exactly. it. Exactly. And what's also great is that we finished each other's... I see. I want to say sandwiches, but it's a little too obvious That's at right. this point. It's, I know, exactly. It's like, first the rest I, of the moment, did the samosas. joke, and then... Oh. I would have said samosas. We share that, drinks and germs. And stuff. That would have been great. Samosas. Yeah. Like, or the Indian food. Just Indian food in general. Everyone loves Indian yep. food. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, well, until then, thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time. Korean translation for Keep Aspire. <laughs> Can't call me artist. Can't call me idol. Idol. I need more than that.